Well, once again, I welcome you. Glad you are able uh, to be here this morning. We're continuing on in our sermon series in the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew 6, 19 through 13. Uh, I will be having verses on the screen, or you can turn in your pew Bible to page 970 if you'd like to follow along there, or a combination of all of the above, really whatever works best for you. Now, as I start this morning, many of you have kind of, you've heard some of my story. I, I, I grew up in, in a religious home, um, a home, a moral home, a good home where I was loved. And I mean, I, I kind of joke that I had like the most normal childhood ever. It was like a little bit leave it to beaver kind of esque, but that's okay. But I wouldn't say that was a Christian home. My family didn't come to faith until my late teen years. But growing up, I always remember we went to church fairly regularly, and kind of one of the, the I would call it kind of quasi-regular features of my upbringing was prayer, and it was both prayer at home and at church. However, that doesn't mean that I, I understood the purpose of prayer or what prayer was. The type of prayer I grew up with was oftentimes prayer at the dinner table, or we would say the now I lay me down to sleep prayer with the they changed it now back in the day. It was like, if I die before I wake, which was like a really scary thing to say to a child, but we, we did that. Um, and I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with praying before you put the kid, your kids to bed. I would encourage you to do that. Or praying and blessing your food. I would encourage you to do that. Those are good things. The problem I had was, was I had no other experience with, with prayer than just kind of these, these little prayers and what prayer meant. In fact, I remember one time it was second or third grade, and I, I must have been a weird second or third grader, but I remember I was sitting at lunch, and I was eating my food, and I thought, oh, I didn't pray for my food. And then being a second or third grader, I'm like, oh no, it's going to turn into poison, right? Or it's not going to be nourishing to my I just had all these, these weird thoughts. I specifically remember that. Because we always prayed that the food would nourish our bodies. What happened? I forgot to pray. Would I still receive nourishment? I also remember prayer in the church I grew up in, and it was uh, typically pre-written prayers that were read aloud, and there's nothing wrong with, with having pre-written prayers read necessarily, but they were just read in this like mechanical, emotionless way, and I, and I remember once again, think, I was a weird child, but once again, thinking as a child, like, like why, why do we do prayer? Is this like appeasing a God that's mad at us? If we don't like say these prayers to him, is he going to be upset? What, what does this do? I didn't, I didn't understand. And it just was never clearly ex- explained to me. And I don't blame my, my parents. We weren't, we weren't Christians at the time. We were just kind of church people doing church things. I want to say that fortunately, Scripture speaks really clear to the purpose of prayer, the reason for prayer, what prayer is and why we should do it. And this morning we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and Jesus is going to get into that. And we're going to see the Lord's Prayer as as a model for us to pray or a framework for prayer. And it's a practical model, by the way. It's we can take it anywhere with us and, and communicate with God. A God who promises to turn his ear and listen to his people. And that's really what the Lord's Prayer is. It, it is a model for us to follow. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with praying it word for word like we just did. That is wonderful and fine. However, I think as we we dig into it this morning, there's a lot more there than simply reading it word for word. There's instruction there of how to do it. And I believe that we'll see this morning that prayer isn't just something we do for show or a religious 
motion we're supposed to go through. It's something that God gives us for us, for our faith, for our growth in Christ, to strengthen our faith and our knowledge of God. So as we dive into the Lord's Prayer this morning, I've got to set the scene a little bit here because we're not going to talk about what Jesus directly talked about before this. So I just want to set the scene. And he t- starts by talking about how not to pray. He says in verse 5, he says, Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. So Jesus says, we don't pray to be seen by other people. It's, this is not a religious exercise where we're trying to look religious. That's not the purpose of prayer. That's what the hypocrites do. And then Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles. And he says this in verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus is saying, we don't pray for religious show. This isn't showmanship. We shouldn't just pray these rambling, long prayers. And then he tells us this is how we should pray in the Lord's Prayer. Now, I like what R.T. France says in his commentary on Matthew, and I've quoted him a few times during the sermon series because, quite frankly, his commentary is the best on Matthew, in my opinion. But he says this. He says, Christian tradition has always found them, which is the forms of the Lord's Prayer found in Luke and Matthew, they're slightly different, to be suitable either for simple repetition or as a template for more extended prayer or a basis for thinking and teaching about prayer and its priorities. The fact that the early church seemed to have been content for the prayer to be preserved in different forms does, however, suggest that it, is, it was more concerned with the content of prayer and that's, uh, than the exact form. So that's what I want to get at, the content of the Lord's Prayer this morning. And Jesus is going to actually give us three kind of different ways we can pray uh, or three different things we can pray about. So he says this, he says first that we are to pray that God's glory and kingdom spread. We're supposed to pray in our regular prayer life that God's glory and his kingdom spreads. He says pray like this and he says our father in heaven hallowed be your name. I want to pause just for a moment here. Our father in heaven. This is an intimate language. This is the language of Abba father. It's this affectionate term for God. And Jesus says that we don't just pray to God, we just don't call him Father. But if you are in Christ this morning, you are a beloved child of God. In our prayer, God turns his ear to listen to us because we are his beloved children. He cares about you. When you pray to him, he hears everything you have to say. And we don't just call him Father, we call him our Father because we are adopted into God's family through Jesus. So we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This word hallow is the idea of of being holy, magnified, being made much of. So we pray that God's name is hallowed. Does that mean that God's name is not currently hallowed? It's kind of a trick question. No, God's name is hallowed. God is great and glorious, and his name is the most hallowed name in all of the universe. The problem is is that people don't recognize it. People don't recognize the glorious nature of God. They don't recognize his holiness, and they don't have the reverent awe for God that he deserves. 
So part of this prayer, hallowed be your name, is a prayer that the, the holiness of God is spread throughout the earth, that people understand and recognize him for who he truly is. They, they get a clear picture of God, and they have reverent awe for him. I think part of this is, is tied in with the spread of the gospel. Part of what we're supposed to be doing as a church is, is sharing with the community who this holy God is so that people come to faith and can truly hallow his name through faith where they have understanding of who God is and they see his beauty and his holiness and his glorious natures and attributes. And through faith, they can truly hallow God's name because they understand him. So we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your holiness of your name spread throughout the earth. And then we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is an acknowledgement, this is tied in with the hallowedness of God's name, but this is an acknowledgement of the already not yet kingdom of God we've been talking about in the Beatitudes. We've been talking about this kingdom of God that's here, but not yet fully here. So we're praying, God, your kingdom come fully to earth. It is a prayer for the inbreaking of God's kingdom in our community and God's reign fully consummated in this world. It's praying and acknowledging that the kingdom um, isn't fully here yet, but we're pleading desperately with God to bring about this kingdom through his power. This prayer, by the way, it's looking at the brokenness of the world around us and seeing everything that's wrong with it and longing for God to fix all that. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, part of this, I think, is, is looking at governing authorities. And we're praying, God, may you act through the governing authorities. May they make laws that honor and glorify you. It is a prayer to stamp out wickedness. What Jesus is saying here is that we are to pray in this section of the Lord's Prayer that all facets of the world, all people everywhere, come fully to the realized reign of God in their lives. Praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is praying that God's will alone be accomplished on earth. Not anyone else's will. This means that all other wills, all people, submit their knees to the lordship of Jesus. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, praying this prayer during the Roman Empire was treason. It was absolute treason. When Jesus tells you, say, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, he's praying against the Roman Empire. He's praying against Caesar. He's saying, Caesar, your will not be done. My will be done. There's a reason why Christians in the early church, as I talked about in, in, in men's uh, uh, Bible study this morning, or Sunday school, there's a reason why they use Christians as torches to light the streets in the Roman Empire and crucify them up and up, upside down and burn them alive and gave them to the lions because they were saying this. This is a serious thing to pray. By doing this, we acknowledge that Jesus truly is Lord of all things. Praying this prayer is, is this is a significant thing. As Christians, we claim to have a different allegiance. 
We are not allied to the kingdoms of this world, but to the kingdom of Jesus. Next, Jesus tells us that we are to pray for provision and forgiveness. Starts out with the most simple of prayers. Give us this day our daily bread. This prayer is is a reminder to trust in God, our Heavenly Father, for drink, food, clothing, whatever we need. It's a petition that's expressed in the most simplest forms that God provides what we need. Even bread, the most basic of survival rations, comes by God's daily provision and is thus a proper subject for prayer rather than something to be taken for granted. This is, we find this all over Scripture. The psalmist in Psalm 104, 14 through 15 says this. Talking about God's provision in her life, he says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to, and wine to gladden the heart of man oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. It, if this is true, even for bread, the most basic of, of, of needs, how much more true is it for all of our physical needs? This is the prayer of God. You provide everything for me. By the way, this petition, the, the Jewish hearers of this would have realized that Jesus is also kind of referring to the manna in the wilderness that God provided his people as they journeyed into the promised land. God would provide food for them each day, miraculously by his own power, and just enough for each day, and a double portion on the Sabbath so that they may rest and keep the Sabbath holy. It would be a reminder of God's miraculous work providing for the nation of Israel in one of the most inhospitable environments in the world by his own power. And it is a reminder for us that we too can rely on God's gracious goodness for us to provide our most basic of needs. This prayer is a total acknowledgement that we are fully dependent on God to provide for us our daily bread. In this prayer, we're acknowledging our dependence on the most routine things in life. As uh, Luke says in Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even our every breath that we take, the very breath I'm using right now to speak is provision and a gift from God in my life. An amazing grace that he's given for me. Not something I deserve, but that he gives out of his free goodness to me. And if I'm going to be honest with you this morning, this is an area that I need to get better in in my prayer life. This is an area I need to get better in. In America, we live in one of the most blessed, and I would say probably the most blessed nation in the world. We are given so much. We receive so much blessing from God. We are callous in many ways to all that we have. If you would go and pluck someone out of a third world country and have them step into your shoes, their minds would be blown by what you have, receive, and do each day. I need this reminder too. We are so blessed. I'm oftentimes not thankful for everything that God gives me. It's kind of like the old adage, like the difference between cats and dogs. Okay? Now, now I'm a dog person. I can really not, I could just skip cats altogether if I'm honest. I'm sorry if you love cats. I'm sure your cat's wonderful. But I'm a dog, I'm a dog person. Okay? And this is why I like dogs. If you have a dog, if you own a dog, 
You, you love that dog, you take care of it, you feed it, you play with it, you take it for walks, and it looks up at you, and it is just so thankful to have you as their owner, right? Dogs are great. You have a cat, it's the opposite. You, you take care of it, you love it, you feed it, you give it treats, and it looks at you, and it's like, this is it? This is all I get? I don't want to be that way with God. I want to be more like the dog. I want to look at God and be truly thankful for everything that I have. I want to be thankful for the things that, that, I just, that I take for granted in this life that I have. God, give us today our daily bread. God, help us to, to cultivate thankful hearts. Next, Jesus moves on. Interesting, he talks about uh, you know, being thankful, and then he talks about uh, forgiveness of sins. He says in verse 12, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer for forgiveness, and it is, a, it is both vertical and horizontal. This is what I mean by this. First, we are to look to God and ask for forgiveness for our sin in our own lives. We are to take our sins, our mistakes, we are to bring them before God. He's faithful and just to forgive us through Jesus Christ. We take whatever those mistakes are, and we, we bring them before him. God, forgive me my sins. But on the flip side of that, Forgiveness is also horizontal. It's personal. It's personal relationships with others. We're supposed to pray that we're able to be forgiving people to others in our lives. And if you're anything like me, sometimes forgiveness is hard. It's hard. There are people in your life that have harmed you, that have hurt you, that have done horrible things to you. It's hard to forgive them. So we also not just pray for forgiveness vertically, but God gives us the ability to be radical with our forgiveness in our horizontal relationships with other people. That we're not people holding grudges who sin, us and, who sin and wrong against us. But just as we've been forgiven and are undeserving of that forgiveness, we too pass that forgiveness on to others, acknowledging they are undeserving, but we offer them forgiveness. Thirdly, is Jesus tells us that we are to pray for deliverance and to resist evil. He says in verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you remember back when we first started the book of Matthew, we talked about how Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be put to the test. And we talked about how, how Jesus overcame all temptation for us on our behalf. But this acknowledgement, and lead us not into temptation, is we will face temptation, difficulties, trials, evils, wickedness in our life. That is part of the Christian life. It is part of living in this broken world. Now we say God doesn't cause us to sin. God is not the author of sin. But sometimes he allows us to face difficult things. This is an acknowledgement that is weak, a sinful people, we need a God who, who gives us the strength and faith to overcome these temptations, to even remove them from us at times. We may be allowed to face temptation or trials and evil, but we also pray and acknowledge, God, take these temptations from me because I am weak. It's a vivid way of asking God's mercy to remove temptation and trial from our lives. This is also a reminder that we do indeed live in a broken and sinful world. If you've turned on the news any time in the past 24 hours, you know that. We are surrounded by evil everywhere we look. 
We pray to be delivered from evil in the sense of our daily lives. We pray things like, God, keep my child from sickness or from giving into sinful temptation. God, keep my spouse safe. These are our prayers of protection from Satan and the evil in the world. But I think Jesus is also going deeper than just our simply daily deliverance from evil. He's praying for the ultimate deliverance from evil. And we too are to pray for that. When Jesus returns and takes all evil and wipes it off the face of the map and throws it out. And all that's left is God's goodness. And so we pray, God, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So we've looked at three types of prayers, ways that Jesus has taught us to pray this morning. And we talked about how prayer is not a solely, it's not just a religious activity we do or to show people how religious we are or how spiritual we are. By the way, Jesus wasn't against corporate prayer. He did it all the time. He's, be, he's against the reason behind it. If, if you do it in one of those ways, it's, that's showing off or, or showing how religious you are. But he modeled corporate prayer for us many times. Instead, according to Jesus, we are to pray in a way, the point of it is to engage in relationship and conversation with God. This prayer is a way for, to dream the kingdom of God into reality. It's, it's thinking about the things of God and praying for them to come true, which they will in God's power. It's a way for us to communicate our needs to a heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, who we're told to call our Father while acknowledging we're fully dependent on Him. It's a way for us to show our repentant hearts to God while showing forgiveness to those around us. It is this. To sum up what prayer is, the Lord's Prayer, all of these actions are designed to deepen our understanding of ourselves, God, and His desires for us. I'll say that again. All of the the Lord's Prayer, these, these prayers, are designed to deepen our understanding of ourselves, God and his desires for us. That is the purpose of prayer. And I truly believe this morning that sometimes our soul needs nothing more than just to spend some time talking to God, the God who listens to us in prayer, who created us, who is sovereign over all things and loves us. Therefore, prayer isn't for God necessarily. It is for us. Now I'm going to get really, really practical with you this morning because I always try to do that. And we are going to talk about the ACTS method of prayer. Uh, This is an acronym. It is a great way to pray the Lord's Prayer in a way that I can actually remember. I'm not good at acronyms. Help me. So ACTS, it is an acronym. And it stands for this. It stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Now, I want to be clear this morning, I have not made this up. This is not my own creation. I have borrowed this. It's been around for a long time. Some of you maybe have heard of it. But it's a way for you and your families, or just you by yourself, to engage God in prayer in a way that I think is really powerful and will help you kind of step out of your normal routine or rhythm of prayer. So we're going to talk about the letters of the acronym. The first one is this. It's adoration which simply means to give God praise and honor for who he is as Lord over all. During this time of adoration, we're going to focus directly on God in our prayer, where adoration means to adore, and so we're going to adore God for who he is. You can think about maybe the names of God from the Old Testament. You can think about his different characteristics, his roles, but we're going to worship and praise God uh, with our hearts and minds and voice. And you're going to focus deeply into the character of God and his holiness 
and his goodness. By the way, this is a great opportunity to go to Scripture and, and pluck out a Scripture that is adoring God. There's a lot of them. My favorite is 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. It says this. You're going to hear this adoration. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heavens or in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. There's a prayer of adoration for God. Next is C in Acts, which is confession. Confession is honestly dealing with your sin in your prayer life. It is a, it is a way... Um, it's interesting how if you adore God and you look at the beauty and the characteristics of God, you, you see yourself in the light of that glorious God. And it's going to lead you to confession. Um, it's going to lead you, that's going to be a natural follow-up. Because we cannot stand before a, a, the throne of a holy God with sin between us and our Savior. Our, we're fully forgiven from our sin in Jesus if you are a Christian. But if you are in a pattern of sin, uh, stuck and mired in sin, that... that the Bible talks about it, it grieves the Holy Spirit and it actually kind of messes up your relationship with God and you don't feel as close to Him. Maybe you've felt that. Confession is a way to bring your sin before God. And you're doing this. You're asking God to search your heart and to search areas in your life that displease you or displease Him. Uh, the psalmist says, Search me and know my heart, God. You allow God to, to cleanse your heart from unconfessed sin. So you, you, you bring your sins before God and you lay them at his feet. Psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So we're, 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 we're having God reveal maybe sin we don't understand. We're bringing all of our sin and confessing it to God. We're confessing specific sins. Be specific in your confession with God. And lastly, we... In, the, in confession, when we confess our sins to God, we must accept his forgiveness and, and cleansing. I've seen people who, who they've committed a sin, and, and, and sin is bad, but they're so hung up on that, and they've, they've repented, and they've moved on, and they're not committing that sin anymore, but they're, just, they're so racked with guilt because of that sin. It's like, no, once you've confessed your sin and repented, and you're not living in that pattern of sin... You're free from that. Keep moving forward. Don't be mired in that sin. So after you've done that, accept his forgiveness and cleansing. Jesus is fully just and good to forgive because he has paid for all of your sin on the cross. Next is T, which is thanksgiving, which is just to verbalize that you're grateful in your life for what God has given you, for what he has provided for you. This is a time for prayers of thanks for what God has done. Thank him for the salvation you've received. That's a complete gift from God. You don't deserve it, but he's given it to you. Pray for the many blessings you've had in your life. Protection, provision, all the doors that God has opened for you, all the opportunities he's laid at your feet, all the gifts you've received. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we thank God in prayer for what he's giving us. And lastly, the S is supplication. This is our natural way we tend to pray. These are prayers of requests. 
This is a time where you're asking God for divine help in your life to solve problems or solve problems in someone else's life. Um, this is kind of how we naturally tend to pray. Paul says this in uh, Ephesians 6.18, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So in supplication, we pray for the needs of us, our family, and also for the needs of others that we know. A-C-T-S, acts. An easy way to remember how to pray. And I, and I think and I pray that when you do these things, maybe you've never prayed a prayer of adoration where you've never just sat and spent time adoring God in prayer for who he is. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer of confession or thanksgiving. This is a way, I hope, to, to kind of get you out of your comfort zone in prayer. It's based off the model or the framework that Jesus taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And I truly believe that this simple form of prayer can help you go deeper with God in your prayers. You kind of get out of your prayer comfort zone and pray in a little bit different way. After all, that's what prayer is all, what it's all about, going deeper with God in relationship, that we may know him and his character more intimately. Speaking of prayer, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, I thank you that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has taught us how to, to pray God, I thank you that through the Holy Spirit, God, you can spur us on in prayer. God, prayer isn't just something we do to, to show off how holy we are or how religious we are. God, prayer is a way that we can go deeper in relationship with you, that we can know you more intimately. God, I'm so thankful that I have a loving Father who says, no, we call you our Father if we belong to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are adopted into your family. And everything we bring to you in prayer, everything, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, you turn your ear and listen to your people. God, may we take advantage of having a God who loves us that much that he listens to our each and every prayer and each and every person here. God, help us to pray more, to pray more diligently as we go out this week. We thank you and we pray all this in uh, the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.